0: Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, we need you. Every waking and sleeping hour, we desperately need you. We cannot have righteousness. We cannot have salvation. We cannot have life without you. And so Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your provision. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us to know how we need you, that that we would recognize the ways in which we can serve you in our need of you. So Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your love, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We thank you again, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. A few years back, um, my wife and family and I went home back to Texas to visit family. It was Thanksgiving holiday, actually, and if you've ever been to Texas in November, late November especially, you know that Texas gets cold. Um, especially around Amarillo, where I'm from, the, the Texas Panhandle actually gets a lot of snow and really cold weather. And, uh, which can mean that because of that harsh weather, uh, it's hard on houses and pipes and uh, everything that you have on your property. And so we're at uh, home for Thanksgiving and we're, we're just enjoying family and having a wonderful time. And uh, I went out into the backyard to do something. I can't even remember what it was. And I noticed this large puddle over in one section of my mother's property. And I thought, well, that's weird. I wonder what that is. And so I went back in. I said, hey, Mom, you've got a big puddle out in the backyard, kind of over in this back corner over here. And she said, oh, no. And I went, what? And she said, well, that's where the main comes in from the street to supply water to the house. And she goes, I know that it's been leaking a little bit here and there, so... If there's a full-on puddle, a small lake actually (laughs) had developed in my mom's backyard. She said, I know that if there's that much water, then the pipe must have had a major leak. It must be leaking extensively. And so, being the good Texas country boy that I am, I pulled on my cowboy boots, stuffed my jeans down inside of them, and I went back out to the backyard with a shovel, and I started digging. And I dug, and I dug, and I dug... And I dug a hole that went up to my armpits and finally hit the pipe. I have a picture. I tried to find it and I couldn't locate it. But I've got a picture of me standing in this hole. And all you can see is like my shoulders up from this pipe. Why they dug the pipe that deep into the ground is beyond me. But that's not the point. The, the point is, is, we ended up spending that entire day, my, one of my brothers came over and we dug up that pipe and found out not only was it leaking there, but it was also leaking at another spot. So we ended up in that day digging two very large, very deep holes in my mom's yard. Why am I telling this story? Well, today's Father's Day and my dad passed away a few years ago. Um, normally it would have been my dad digging up that hole, me helping him. But because my dad wasn't around, I was the one to take charge and to step into that position. And let me tell you something. I don't know about your dad, and I don't know about your uh, kids. I, that's not the point that I'm getting to this morning. The point is is that my dad was, I consider, a very great man. I've spoken a little bit about him in the past. He was great and he was humble. He was a recovering alcoholic when he passed away. uh, He was working on 30 some odd years of sobriety. um, And he helped men, he helped people. But my remembering of my father was he taught me how to care for things. He taught me how to take care of a house. He owned a painting and construction company in the small little town in the Texas Panhandle that we lived in. And my dad made a point to teach me how to care for a house. So I can do carpentry, I can do painting, I can do plumbing. I don't touch electrical. I hate electrical. I don't know why. My dad never taught me that part. I don't think he liked it either. But I've learned over over the years how to do all of these things. Now, one of the things my dad did not know how to do was work on cars. Luckily, my grandfather taught me that. But I want you to think about this for a moment. In that particular November day, a pipe burst, and there was no one around. Luckily, I think by the grace of God, I was in town, and I was able to reach out to my brother who came and helped. But had we not been there, what would have happened? My father wasn't around, so my mom would have had to pay a sum of money to hire somebody to come in and take care of that. But here's the thing, here's where I'm getting my father passed a legacy on. My father knew that it was important to pass on his knowledge to his sons. And today, I can do all these repairs, but I've got two brothers that are living back in my hometown that are running the company that my dad started. And it's very successful, and it takes care of my my brothers, and it takes care of my mother. That legacy was passed on. Because my dad knew good and well that he wasn't going to be alive forever. He knew good and well also that whether he lived a long life or not, my dad knew that he had knowledge that he needed to pass on to his children. And today, I'm very thankful because I think I've got a good work ethic. Uh, I hope the people that work with me think that too. But I hope that I have a good work ethic and I can attribute that to my father. And today, we're going to look at a man in the Bible who passed on what God had given to him. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on today, and I want you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. So let me give you a, a kind of a glimpse of where we've been so far. We've gone through the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and his son Joseph. Then we transitioned into the book of Exodus, and we went through Exodus... <clears throat> and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy by looking at the life of Moses, and then we went through Joshua, and then we went through Judges, talking about Gideon and Samson, and today we're on the next book, so it's after Judges. First Samuel is the book right after Judges. If you get to another book that has a one or a two in front of it, you've gone too far. You need to to back up. First, second Kings, uh, first, second Chronicles, you've gone too far. Back up. Um, So, we are in 1 Samuel, and specifically we're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Let me give you a little background on who Samuel is. There's an entire book named, actually two books named after this guy, so he must be somewhat important. Well, the 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, begins talking about Samuel's parents, and how the, the, Samuel's mom couldn't have a child, and so she went and prayed to the Lord. Uh, apparently, her praying was so um, obvious, it was so apparent, uh, that the priest, the, the, the Levite that was there, the high priest, actually walked up to her thinking that she was drunk because she was praying so actively in this moment. And uh, long story short, uh, God gives her a child, And it's Samuel. And Samuel, she dedicates to the Lord. So she raises him for a couple of years. Uh, She weans him. And after she weans him, she actually takes him to the tabernacle of God, the, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept and sacrifices were made. She took him there and dedicated him. And when I say dedicated, it means she took him into the tabernacle and handed him off ...to the high priest and said, this is my son, he will serve in the temple this day forward. She gave her son up so that he could serve the Lord... ...because she was just so thankful that she had a child to begin with. Um, So Samuel grows up in the tabernacle... And at one point, God verbally speaks to Samuel, and, and it kind of kickstarts his ministry into what he's doing, and, and then he has this amazing ministry. He's actually, we talked about the last couple of weeks, how the Israelites had these judges. They didn't have a king, they had a judge that would kind of, not rule, but, but make decisions for the country, and God would speak through them and give direction to the Israelite people. And so Samuel is actually the last of the judges. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But let's look at the ministry of Samuel. So 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, and we're going to begin in verse 15. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15 is where we're beginning. And we're going to read verses 15 through 17. It says this, Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. Now, when it says judging, it basically means that people would come to him needing a decision about some issue that was happening or some circumstance in their life. And they would come to him as the judge of Israel for that decision. (coughs) So, verse 17. But he always went back to Ramah. Where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. So Samuel has this huge ministry. The entire nation depends on Samuel's decision making. So he would go yearly and make this big circuit all over the country of Israel. He would travel all over and make these stops and people would come to him and say, hey, I've got this situation. This is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And Samuel would say, okay, this is what the Lord is telling you to do. And then he would make judgments for the entire nation and kind of lead it uh, as their judge. But that wasn't all that happens with Samuel. There comes a point when the people of Israel come to Samuel and said, "We don't want to judge anymore. We want to be like all the other nations that are around us, and we want a king." And God sends Samuel to give them a king. So now fast forward to first Samuel, chapter 10. So you're in chapter seven, just three more chapters over. Chapter 10, verse 23. Chapter 10, verse 23. So the people have come to him and said, we don't want you to be our judge anymore. We want a king. And look at the response in chapter 10, verse 23. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, this is Saul, the the next king. They brought him out among the people and he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man that the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him in among all of the people. And then the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. So Samuel is kind of the ruler, the judge... And then God says, the people are going to come and ask for a king. And you're going to be the one to anoint this king. And so God sends him to Saul. He anoints him. And then what we just read is Saul's announcement. Samuel announcing that Saul is now the new king of Israel. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Samuel, you'll find out, you'll know that things go south. Saul turns out to not be the godliest man around. He he ends up being a king that does some good things, but he also does some very ungodly things. So now fast forward to chapter 13, you're in chapter 10, so now fast forward to chapter 13, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, so Saul has just done something, he has sacrificed a sacrifice to the Lord, which was not his right, he did not have the right to do that that was something that only samuel could do. and so look at what samuel's response to saul's disobedience is. you have done a foolish thing, samuel said. you've not kept the command of the lord your god that the lord your god gave you. if you had, he would have established your kingdom over israel for all time. but now your kingdom will not endure. the lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Interesting. Samuel, judge of Israel, the people come and complain, they don't want a judge, they want a king, so God said, Samuel to anoint someone as king, and then it backfires, it blows up in Samuel's face. And Samuel has to tell the existing king, the guy with all the power, the guy with the army, the guy with the authority, he has to tell him, you messed up. And because you messed up, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to someone else. Now one more fast forward. Now go to chapter 16. Chapter 16, starting in verse 11. Chapter 16, verse 11. So Samuel has now gone. God has sent him to anoint the next new king of Israel because it's not going to be one of Saul's family. And so he goes to this man named Jesse that God had sent him to. And God had said to Samuel, I'm going to make one of Jesse's sons the next king. And so Samuel gets there. He has Jesse bring out all of his sons. And he, goes, he sees the firstborn. And the firstborn is tall and strong and, and manly and good looking. And Samuel goes, oh, this must be the guy. And God says, no, this isn't the guy. And so he goes to the next son. God says, no, this isn't the guy either. And he keeps going down, and God says, listen, you keep looking at the outward appearance of these boys, I look at their heart, because my concern is not with physical appearance, but the heart of men. And look at what is said in verse 13. Or verse 11, sorry. Chapter 16, verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered he is tending the sheep so samuel said send for him he will not sit down we will not sit down until he arrives so he sent for him and had him brought in and he was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features then the lord said rise and anoint him this is the one so samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So, I want to imagine for just a moment what it must have been like to be in Samuel's shoes. Imagine for a moment that you're given a position of great authority. You're an important man. Samuel was the judge of all of the kingdom. And the people come to you and go, we don't want you anymore. We want a king. Do you think Samuel in that moment felt rejected? Now fast forward, he is sent by God to anoint a king. He anoints him. The king starts doing his thing. And the king disobeys God. And God tells Samuel, tell him that I'm not going to give him this kingdom. He's not gonna, his lineage is not going to be the king's. His sons will not be the kings. I'm going to anoint someone else. And so Samuel, after being rejected, now has to go and tell the existing king who he anointed that he is not going to continue as the king. His family is not going to king, be the leaders of the kingdom. And so God sends Samuel to go anoint someone else. Would you feel rejected if you were Samuel? According to what we see in God's Word, Samuel did everything right. He was godly. He was a good man. He made good judgments. And yet the people didn't want him. What was Samuel's reaction? You see, some would have felt rejection, but Samuel responds in unwavering obedience to God. There is not a single indication in the book of 1 Samuel that Samuel at any point went, why? He at no point went, this isn't fair. They hurt my feelings. At no point does Samuel do that. As a matter of fact, Samuel just simply goes, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And he continues going through the process of his obedience to God. So here's my big idea for this week. That idea that I want you to kind of keep in mind and think through... This week, this week, and here it is. You are sent to serve and serve to send. Every single one of us in this room are sent to serve, but we are also servants to go and send others. One of the purposes of our servanthood in Jesus Christ is to go and equip the next person or the next people for ministry. You see, Samuel, even though it hadn't been written, Samuel fully understands what's written in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. No, it's not verse 3, it's verse 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as we were all called to one hope when we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. And then, if you read down to verse 12, the purpose that we receive the grace is this to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To equip. Others for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. My father could have been a lazy man and not taught me and my brothers how to work and how to take care of things and how to fix things. But my dad knew that there was an important purpose in equipping us with those skills. Now, fast forward, my dad has passed, he's not around anymore. And now my mom is taken care of. My brothers are taken care of because my dad equipped us. He prepared us. Let's face a reality. We are sent to serve and we serve to sin because Jesus died on a cross for every single person. Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins. His perfect, innocent blood was shed so that we could be cleansed of our sins because we can't do it on our own. There is no amount of giving or good works or generosity or helping others that we could do to earn our way into heaven. Because in truth, we are helpless sinners in need of a Savior. So God did what? He sent us that Savior, His one and only Son. And here's the great thing. The Bible promises that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we have to be the ones serving and sending that message out there, aren't we? How are people going to hear about the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ if we don't send and serve and tell others? And here's the thing. There's probably 200 people sitting in here right now. 200 people. Those of us sitting in this room could never come close to spreading that message to every person in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. We don't have the ability. We don't have the capability because we're limited. So, what do we do? We have to equip everyone around us who are followers of Jesus to go and help us with this beautiful mission. We can't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own. And it's not my job as a pastor to be the one and only guy that tells people about Jesus. It's every followers of Jesus' job to go and spread that beautiful message. But that means we have to go and serve and we have to go and prepare others to go serve. It's not enough for us to sit on these pews on Sunday morning and then get done and go sit in a Bible study and learn head knowledge about Jesus. That's not enough People are not going to get saved by us sitting in these chairs. People are not going to get saved because you learned more about Jesus. People are going to get saved because you go and apply what you learned about Jesus. People are going to get saved because you go and take what Jesus did and what Jesus taught and you go live that out in the world. But you can't do it on your own. And I can't do it on my own. We need to equip the next group. We need to equip the next generation to go and do that which we can't do. We're not going to live forever. So who is that person in your life that God is calling you to prepare for that ministry that you do? Who is he calling you to equip so that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news can go out to every generation. That life-changing hope in Jesus can be heard by everyone that doesn't have that hope. Who is the next person for you? Who's the Saul and the David for your Samuel? Who do you need to intentionally be going out and equipping? In light of this, we have a really unique and cool opportunity this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite Phil and Julie up on stage. Um, Phil and Julie... Uh, are connected to our church. They've been around. Uh, You probably uh, are familiar with at least one of them, if not both of them. Um, And Phil and Julie have been called to go serve in the mission field in Thailand. And so I wanted to have them up here. They're leaving July 6th, right? July 6th, they're leaving. So they're just days away from, from leaving our country and heading to Thailand to go do ministry there to the people groups who do not know Jesus. Um, and so I want to just take a moment and kind of talk to you guys, let you have a chance to tell all of us what brought you to this point and why Thailand and all those things. So, so, so I've got a few questions for you. First off, um, tell us a little bit about yourselves. How might we know you if you look familiar to us, but we can't make that connection.
1: Absolutely. So you said how we got to this point, Chad. And this this church is a big part of the reason we got to this point of being called and being sent. To Thailand, I just saw Miss Sharon Bavin in the lobby, and she taught Phil when I believe when he was five or six years old in this church, um, and she has been um, a spiritual influence on me in my life to this day. Um, sends me encouraging emails all the time, so. A little bit of our backstory, we um, met, but didn't really know each other as children in this church. Um, Our families um, kind of barely overlapped. Phil's parents, Steve and Sharon Hoshawara, were here, um, I think, in the early to mid-90s. And then um, my parents, Don and Michelle Mitchell, came in 96. And so we barely overlapped. But we're very much blessed by the preaching and teaching and children's ministry and youth ministries in this body. So thank you so much um, for all of the ways that you participated in um, building us up spiritually. We're so thankful for that. So since then um, we have kind of gone different directions and Phil has done some overseas work. He's um, been in Azerbaijan and in Thailand um, for several years. Um, And we reconnected at Phoenix Seminary here in the Valley. Um, I was working there and he came as a student, and we reconnected and met. And so, our sharing in this joint calling of um, taking the gospel to Thailand. So,
0: so speaking of Thailand, yeah. what led the two of you to have a heart for the people of Thailand? Why Thailand, I guess, would be a, a better question.
1: Absolutely, you want to answer? That? Sure.
2: <laughs> um, it, it was not like a, a sheet came down from heaven for. I mean, we each have different stories, but for for either of us, that was not the case. Um, it was little baby steps over time. I think where God just directed us and showed us this is what He had for us. So it was things like a short term two week mission trip to Thailand right after high school for me. Um, there was just seeing the need that there was in Thailand with um, so few Christians, so few opportunities to hear uh, the gospel. What you just mentioned. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Romans 10 said, how will they call on the name of the one whom they haven't believed? And how they believe if they haven't heard? And without someone preaching, how are they hear? So there's, there was just that need that was so obvious. Um, there are ways that we, we felt God had equipped us, and then people in our lives that were affirming that calling on our lives, saying, yeah, we think this is a, a good idea. We can see how God um, has equipped you to do that. So over time, um, God just kept opening doors and leading us in this direction,
0: So there have been people who have invested in your lives, not just in this church, but in in many ministry contexts and settings. Um, So what is the ministry you're hoping to be doing in Thailand? Like you're going to go over there, and obviously there's a lot of work to be done just to kind of learn the language and the culture and those kinds of things, but uh, what else will you be doing in Thailand uh, in this ministry? yeah um, we so, like you said we 'll be studying language for that the whole first
2: year that we 're in Thailand. but after that, we want to go somewhere in central Thailand that is uh, largely unreached, which is most of central Thailand, and um, be involved in church planning. so that will probably look like initially just building relationships and sharing the gospel uh, because really, for the most part it 's starting at Ground Zero with people who don 't even. Have n't even thought about a Creator God, let alone who is Jesus Christ. What has He done on the cross for us? So we're, we'll be sharing a lot of the gospel, uh, having Bible studies, just introducing people to the story uh, of Scripture. Um, but the long-term goal is that we would see people not only come to uh, put their trust in Christ, but to grow up in that faith, into and, and maturity. So we we want to plant a church and be involved in discipling and equipping, as you said. Uh, especially a, a Thai national believer who can be a pastor and take on that work of pastoring the church.
0: Awesome. So how can we stay in touch, support you, pray for you? What are the things that we can do as First Southern and the people here to support you in your ministry?
1: Thank you so much for the ways that you're already equipping us and sending us. So many of you um, in this room have um, given and prayed and encouraged and enabled us to go. Uh, We have an email newsletter that we send out every couple of months, and we'd love to connect you that way. So please... um, connect with Phil or I will be uh, in the coffee area the welcome center, the welcome yep. center um, after this service so please we'd love to um, meet you or reconnect with you give you a prayer card that we've brought or get you on our email list so we can send those needs um, we would love to welcome people to Thailand um, we'd like to learn the language first so we can actually host you well and feed you and um, get you around the city but we'd love to introduce you to um, the people that we meet there and have your help as we serve so um, consider that in the future
0: so there will be a great opportunity right after the service to walk out these doors, turn right, and, and go towards the Welcome Center. Uh, Phil and Julie are both going to be over there. And if you want information or you want to be on their uh, email list so that you can keep up with what's going on, please make a point to, to swing over there before you go to Bible study or whatever after the service is done. Now, um, I'm going to invite now family, friends, uh, I want all of our leadership, our deacons and our uh, committee members and anybody else that would like to come and pray for them. Uh, Phil, Julie, will you come down here to the floor? We're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. And the reason we're going to do this comes from Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13, uh, it says this, while we were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. "...and then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off." Laying hands on missionaries, on ministers that are going to do God's work uh, is a very biblical thing. And so I've invited leaders, uh, friends, family, everyone to come and pray and lay hands on Phil and Julie uh, as a way to send them off and pray for them and and let them know that we are here to support them. So will all of you lay hands and let's uh, join with me as we pray over this wonderful couple. Almighty God, we thank you so much for Phil and Julie and the ministry that we have. And Lord, we pray uh, as they make this move next month to go to Thailand, we first pray that you would give them protection, that you would protect them as they move, as they go to take this venture, that they would, you would protect their family. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen their marriage uh, and their relationship with their daughter Sophie, that they would be the husband and wife and the mother and father that you've called them to be. Lord, we pray for guidance in their ministry, that everything that they do would be your hand moving in their lives, and that you would open the doors that you've called them to go through, and that they would follow you in that. We pray for knowledge, an extra level of knowledge, as they learn the language and the culture that they're going into. Lord, I can't imagine what it must be like to learn the Thai language. And so I pray that they will have the knowledge and understanding to be able to grasp it, to learn it, and speak it as they go into the culture. We pray lastly, Lord, for open doors for the gospel to be spread. Lord, we pray that through Julie and through Phil that people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That people will grow in their relationship with Jesus so that they can then go and be sent out to reach others. So, Lord, we thank you. And, Lord, lastly, we pray for all of their friends and family. Um, As we send them off, we know how difficult it is to see a loved one go far away. And, Lord, we pray that you will give friends and family the strength and the comfort that they need uh, to be supporters in the way that they are called to in the name of Jesus. Lord, again, we thank you, we praise you, and we lift all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Everyone can go ahead and take a seat. Phil, Julie. Um, we have a present that we want to give you from the church. You can't open it yet, though, because we still have another service. So. But I can tell you what it is. We wanted a way for you to remember Arizona, uh, not just for Southern, but Arizona. And so we have in here uh, something for your daughter that is filled with a cactus, like a plush toy cactus with little desert animals that she can poke and stuff into the cactus. It's super cute. I can't give it to you right now, though. So we have one more service. So, guys, let's give Phil and Julie a hand and for the ministry and the work they're going to do. We're now going to move into a time in our service where we respond to what God is doing, what God is telling you, what God may be moving on your heart. And and if you feel like you need to pray this morning, uh, our altar is open. We invite you to come and to pray and spend time uh, with the Lord. If you need to ask someone a question, myself, I'm Pastor Chad, uh, as well as Pastor Josh will be available right here on this front pew. We would love the opportunity to talk to you this morning and answer questions you might have, especially if you have questions about what it looks like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have questions about that, if you're curious about it, we would love the opportunity to talk to you. If you want to grab us right now, right here at the front pew, or if you want to grab one of us after the service, Josh will be up here at the front, uh, and myself, I'll be out in the lobby. I would love, we would both love the opportunity to talk to you. So let's all stand and let's continue to worship and respond.